listening to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. And I'm Howie Silbiger. Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. So pleased to be here with you, so happy to have you here with me, and so grand that we could do the show together and uh, live, and you could call in. Number to call, one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 I know, I know we're on an hour earlier than we usually are, but uh, I figured let's try it an hour earlier and see if we get more calls. Why not? Um now, um, this is not airing on truetalkradio.com yet. It should air in about an hour on truetalkradio.com. Uh, this episode will re-air on truetalkradio.com in about an hour, uh, hopefully, if, if the technology works. That's the plan. It <laughs> doesn't always work. But anyway, we're live, and you could call in. The number is to call, one 669 1292 It's 1-877-669-1292. It's a free call, and, um, and I will pay for it. So you could feel free to use it, and I'll pay for the call. The idea of um, uh, last show, uh, let, me, let me just back up here. Last show, I talked about um, Kanye West and his crazy, crazy, crazy rantings that have been anti-Jewish lately. And I said last show that we shouldn't really give this guy too much airtime. We should give him more psychological help time and not as much airtime as he's been getting. And uh, I said I didn't really want to talk about it on the show again. And here I am again this week. Uh, but we're not really going to talk about Kanye this week, even though he is the center of the story. I wanted to share with you an article that appeared, uh, an opinion piece that appeared in Tablet Magazine. And I think it's important that we hear this point of view because uh, it's a point of view that I share. And uh, I was surprised to read this in Tablet. Usually I don't read this kind of stuff in Tablet. But I was surprised Tablet carried this. But this is really a point of view that I share and something I've actually expressed on the show. Ever since Yee declared, it was written, oh, by the way, um, this was written, I'm not I'm not declaring that this is mine, it is not, it is from Tablet Magazine, written by Ashley Rinsberg. Ever since Yee declared he's going to go be going DEFCON 3 on Jewish people, the media and advocacy groups like Anti-Defamation League have sought to portray the issue as a battle between free speech and censorship. When Yee fawned over Hitler alongside an open Holocaust denier on a talk show, hosted by a man successfully sued for calling a school massacre a hoax, it seemed to prove the larger point. Unregulated internet forums, like the one where Alex Jones made his name, are dangerous and the best safeguard against anti-Semitism lies in actively policing them. Free speech of the kind being advocated by people like Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, the argument goes on, is a direct threat to Jews. Following Musk's acquisition of the social media platform, the New York Times wrote breathlessly that hate speeches rise on Twitter is unprecedented. Research finds only two groups are named as the sources of the research. One is the Anti-Defamation League and the other is the British-based Dark Monday-funded Center for Countering Digital Hate. Perhaps best known for providing the White House with data that was then used to pressure Facebook to remove content deemed objectionable. The ADL, meanwhile, has increasingly defined its mission to defend Jewish people as being synonymous with the Democratic Party's efforts to eliminate hate from the Internet, while turning a blind eye to it elsewhere. The head of the ADL, Jonathan Greenblatt, 
has repeatedly framed the fight against anti-Semitism in recent weeks as hinging on the actions of Elon Musk. But this tells only half the story. After all, Yi's narrative of a sinister Jewish control did not emerge fully formed from his personal study of historical and theological matters. Rather, it's been building for decades in the same media ecosystem now proclaims itself the guardians against all things racist and the protector of the Jews. I'm, uh, I'm going through a uh, tablet magazine opinion piece written by Ashley Rinsberg. It appeared in the, um, in the December, on December 5th, 2022. For the past five years, the dominant media narrative about race, perhaps the dominant media narrative period, has built up a hierarchy of racial justice. At the top are the perennially marginalized BIOPCSs, victims of the lash of the ever-present colonial whip. At the bottom lurks the white male, inherently and ineluctably racist, and even when, or perhaps especially when, they're trying hard not to be racist. In a manner true to our history, Jews have been sucked into this Manchian whirlpool, cast by radical academics and their media acolytes as essential, almost distilled element of the global system of racial oppression. We are not just white. We are the plotters and financiers of the entire system of white supremacy. Worse still, if Jews are white, uh, then they are not, well, Jews. The largely successful effort to assign Jews to the white race means that Jews do not have the moral privilege of determining their own identity. The perversive result of dispossessing Jews of their own history is that it grants the mantle of Jewishness to our enemies. Thus, Yi, in the same Twitter thread where he threatened to go DEFCON 3 on Jews, also claimed that I actually can't be anti-Semitic because black people are actually Jew also. Now, when Whoopi Goldberg asserted on the view that the Holocaust was not about race, she was advancing a version of the same argument made by virtually black Hebrew Israelites, hate preachers, professors who insist on the inedible whiteness of Jews, and the anti-Zionists who deny the legitimacy of the Jewish historical identity. It's true that only the last two groups tend to have their ideas promoted by the media, but the three share the idea that Jew is not a meaningful or legitimate category. Palestinians can be Jews. Thus, the Democratic political activist and Louis Farrakhan fan Linda Sassour is invited to participate as an expert in prominent panel on anti-Semitism. And by the same logic, black Hebrews can be Jews, ye can be a Jew. Only Jews are not allowed to be Jews. Over and over, Jews have watched this trend play out, and largely we've been silent. In a key scene in the 2014 Oscar-nominated movie Selma, Dr. Martin Luther King leads a group of activists and protesters across a bridge alongside black civil rights leader. Not pictured in the scene was a man who walked in front of the line of protesters, fighting for civil rights, the great American Jewish rabbi and leader, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Why would Avra DuVernay, the film's director, compromise the film's historical integrity to raise one of the America's most prominent Jewish spiritual figures out of the image? The answer is that over the past decade, the anti-racist movement that has been the media's single most championed social cause has turned a syllogism into a truism. Whites, by definition, are white supremacists. Jews are the whitest of whites because they falsely hide behind their fake ethnicity. Jews, therefore, are at the top of the white supremacy totem. The media has actively spread these ideas by turning woke radicalism into the defining moral cause of our times. 
while at the same time ignoring the consequences of this campaign. While Yi was cancelled for making open threats and affirming his love for Hitler, little more than a week earlier, hundreds of black Hebrew Israelites marched through central Brooklyn, uninformed and in formation chanting, We are the real Jews. Save for some coverage in the New York Post and in Tablet's daily newsletter, The Scroll, the rest of the media was virtually silent. The media is still talking about the alt-right's 2017 hate march in Charlottesville, treating it as one of the defining events in modern era. But when hundreds of virtually anti-Semites march in Brooklyn, the mecca of America's media establishment, it was crickets. The silence was appalling, but also unsurprising given that the same media has largely ignored the routine violent attacks against religious Jews in New York. When Elon Omar tweeted in 2019 that Jewish money swayed Congress to support Israeli politics, only weeks before claiming American Jews harbored dual allegiance, the media response was hedged. Elon Omar was widely accused of anti-Semitism, NPR wrote, working hard not to claim Omar's comments were in fact anti-Semitic. CBS News noted that it was not the first time Omar had been attacked, positioning Omar incredibly as a victim rather than the aggressor. The New York Times worried that this idea of dual... Jewish Alliance in a 2021 news article by Katie Edmondson that claimed, without any source to substantiate it, by the way, that unnamed rabbis had influenced Congress's decision to fund Iron Dome, a missile defense system that had saved countless of lives in Israel. The media appeared to further boost the narrative that Iron Dome is a tool of the Israeli injustice when it ran dozens of headlines about AOC openly weeping after the vote. In a profile of Alice Walker last spring, the Times offered sympathetic treatments to the color purple author, despite the fact that she got that she has spread vile anti-Semitic tropes, including writing a poem that asks, "Are Goyim meant to be slaves of the Jews, and not only that, but to enjoy it?" The Times, which previously ran a conversation between Walker and Cheryl Strayed, made no mention of Walker's Jew hatred, characterized this noted anti-Semite as complex. By far, the most effective tool in the demonization of Jews has been the use of Israel and Zionism as a means to hide what would otherwise be recognized as pure ethnic bigotry under the cloak of social justice. Casting Israel as the world's last settler colonial state allows anti-Semites to call Jews colonialists, and casting Jews as colonialists has allowed them to call Israel a colonial movement. It has also underlined the idea that Jews are the most villainous sect on the hierarchy of white supremacy. But this... But by this tail-swallowing logic, the mere existence of Israel constitutes a crime. If Jews are not a real category with legitimate identity, then why would they ever have a state, given that other people are there too? And if the state is mired in the original sin of apartheid, how could any Jew support it without upholding white supremacy? I'm reading an uh, a opinion piece uh, that appeared in Tablet Magazine today called Jewish Life is Cheap. As a PLO political cartoon so neatly illustrates, the Palestinian national movement has not been slow to capitalize on the opportunity to conflate Jews with whites and Palestinians with American blacks. An American police officer kneeling on the neck of an African-American man is joined by an Israeli soldier kneeling on the neck of a Palestinian. This paradox is resolved by a narrative of control. 300 Zionists, by Yee's reckoning, run Hollywood, media, and finance to keep the Gentiles in thrall. And through its existence, its endless attacks on Israel, its complicity in demonizing Israel and treating the word Zionism as an epithet, the media not only accepts but advances this heinous narrative. Blaming the normalization of anti-Semitism on Elon Musk or on the Internet's dangerous tolerance of unregulated speech shifts attention away from 
uh, away from, shifts attention from the way many Jews regularly are treated by the media, their neighbors, their colleagues, their classmates in law enforcement, and calls now from the ADL and establishment figures that Jews should trust them to censor the problem away, that our very lives depend on it. Jews understand the real problem has been censored all along. So there you go. That was an article written uh, in the tablet magazine called Jewish Life Isn't, Is Cheap by Ashley Rinsberg. And I agree with mostly, mostly agree with what Ashley said here. The, uh, the idea that, that the media has consistently and constantly, and we've talked about this on the show a lot, consistently and constantly uh, depicted Jews in a bad light, have, have declared, have, have ignored attacks on Jews, um, there were attacks on Jews uh, just as uh, just today. Jews were attacked in Brooklyn, but uh, the media hasn't really covered the attacks on Jews in New York. And when a Jew is killed in Israel, it doesn't get very much coverage. Nobody really cares when Jews are killed in Israel. It just seems that uh, the Jewish life is cheap. Uh, the media doesn't cover Jewish life half as much as if one Arab gets killed in Israel. It's news forever. But when a Jew gets killed in Israel, ah, who cares? It's quite, it's quite fascinating. Even more fascinating is that the, um, is that the media, you know, fawns over these Jew haters time and time again, just fawns over these Jew haters. Like Ye is getting tons of media coverage for 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 expressing his love of Hitler and for expressing his hatred of Jewish people. He's getting tons of media coverage. But people doing good work, people doing charity work, people, uh, people saying good things, uh, good news never gets covered. They, they just seem to ignore the good people and focus on, uh, on the crazy anti-Jewites that, that are out there. Now, just today, a New York man was arrested and charged after allegedly firing a BB gun at a Jewish father and son who were out grocery shopping over the weekend. Jason Kish he's 25 years old from Staten Island, was charged with assault as a hate crime, endangering the welfare of a child, reckless endangerment, and assault in connection with the incident, which unfolded on Sunday afternoon in New York City, uh, the police department said. The victims, a 32-year-old father and his 7-year-old son, had been standing in front of a kosher grocery store in Staten Island and were wearing yarmulkes when they were hit with BB gun pellets on Sunday afternoon. In a video of the incident shared online by the Staten Island Showroom Safety Patrol, the father and son can be seen appearing to put a shopping cart away outside, a, outside a, the island kosher supermarket when a black Ford Mustang with at least one window rolled down drives by. The boy can be seen grabbing his ear as he appears to be struck by a BB pellet as the father appears to turn around to see what happened. The New York, the New York Police Department's 121st Precinct has received uh, released a photo of the black Ford Mustang on Twitter, saying its driver was wanted for two counts of assault as a hate crime. It was not immediately clear whether Keish had obtained an attorney. NBC News, which uh, which I got the story from, uh, reached out to social to his social media account, but uh, didn't get an answer. On Tuesday, that's today, uh, yesterday. The uh, Pristing announced that the suspect wanted for the BB gun assault had been apprehended. Speaking at a news conference on Tuesday, New York City Mayor Eric Adams said that he feared the young boy allegedly targeted in the shooting would never walk that street again without thinking about that incident. We're not going to allow hate to run our city, Adams said, knowing there had been a substantial increase in hate crimes, particularly anti-Semitism across the country, including New York, which he said had the largest Jewish population outside of Israel. 
We need to stop what's happening on social media. We need to stop the spreading of this hate. We need to combat it in a very real way, he said. Reports of anti-Semitic incidents in the U.S. hit a record highs last year. According to the Anti-Defamation League, which tracked anti-Semitism incidents since 1979, anti-Semitic rhetoric has become especially prominent in recent weeks after Yee, the rapper formerly known as Kanye West, Kanye West, made a series of anti-Semitic remarks on social media and praised Hitler in an hour-long interview with conspiracy theorist Eric Jones. The White House announced on Monday that a roundtable hosted by Second Gentleman Doug Emhoff would be convened Wednesday to discuss the rise of anti-Semitism and efforts to counter hate across the country. The roundtable is expected to include White House Domestic Policy Advisor Susan Rice, Ambassador Deborah Lipstadt, Special Envoy to Monitor and Combat Anti-Semitism, and Kaisha Lance Bottoms, Senior Advisor for President for Public Engagement. So at least they're meeting to talk about it. I don't know if they're meeting with the right people. But at least the American government is taking it seriously and meeting to talk about it and trying to figure out how to counter this. Uh, the problem is you can't counter Jew hatred. And the reason you can't counter Jew hatred is there's a simple and, and, and real reason why Jew hatred will exist long after I'm gone, long after you're gone, long after we're all gone. It's going to exist long after we're gone because Jews have been a target for millennia because, quite simply, everybody else is jealous of the Jews. Believe it or not, it's jealousy. Now, we feel inferior Jews generally feel inferior to everybody else. And we feel we're being targeted because people see us as weak. And I've said that on the show quite a few times, that Jews depict ourselves as weak, we depict ourselves as uh, as victims, and therefore we're attacked a lot more than we should be attacked because we depict ourselves the way we depict ourselves. Uh, and that is how we depict ourselves, and that's how J- Jewish community sees themselves. They see themselves as weak. The truth is, though, that the rest of the world does not see Jews as weak. The rest of the world does not depict Jews as the weak, as the weak people. They depict Jews as strong people. They depict Jews as, uh, as, as people of the book, as, uh, as the chosen people from God. And being the chosen, you can't be weak. You're the strongest people. And this is where the jealousy comes in. So Jews have been attacked over millennia for, for various reasons. Uh, one reason was because we were the chosen people and, uh, and, and the Christians were jealous that we were the chosen people, so they attacked us. Another reason was that uh, when the New Testament came out and then the Quran came out, the people who believe in the New New Testament and the people who believe in the Quran cannot uh, fathom that there are people who believe in other things. And, and if they do fathom that there are people who believe in other things, it's a fact, Jews still exist, if, if they see that Jews believe in other things, uh, they, they realize that maybe the thing that they believe in isn't the actual thing. And so if that's not the actual thing, if it's not the actual testament of God, it can't, it can't legitimately be the testament of God if there are Jews who believe in the other testament. So we've got to get rid of the people who believe in the Old Testament before we could actually promote the New Testament as the new covenant with God. And so this is, this is part of the reasons why Jews have been attacked over and over again in various different countries. Now, another reason that we don't talk about very often, but we really should talk about more often, is the fact that we, as Jews, are living in somebody else's country. We are living in somebody else's land. We are, we are guests in somebody else's home. And the fact that we are guests in somebody else's home uh, allows those people to say we have outlived our welcome. And that happens a lot uh, in Jewish history. If we take a look uh, just in recent Jewish history, the Germans made it very clear that we had outlived our welcome. 
not only in Germany, but in Poland and Czechoslovakia and Hungary and Ukraine and everywhere else, they made it very clear that the Jews had outlived their welcome and that, uh, that it was time for them to go. And, and so we have to understand that while we're in the diaspora, while Jews are living in the diaspora, whether it be in Europe, in North America, in Africa, wherever we're living, we have to understand where our place is, that we are guests in somebody else's home, and that we may feel very comfortable living in somebody else's home. We may feel very comfortable being in somebody else's home. The fact is that we are in somebody else's home. And that at one point or another, that person is going to say, hey, this house guest has stayed here too long. It's time for this house guest to leave. And when that time comes, well, we have what's been happening to Jews all along. Either mass expulsions or genocides or mass murders or pogroms or a million and one other ways that Jews have been tortured over the years. This happens when Jews outlive their usefulness and their welcome in other people's lands. So in the past years, in previous years, Jews didn't really have anywhere to go. They, they, they just had to die and stay where they were and die. They had no choices. Today, Jews have a choice. They have a choice to go to Israel. Israel is a Jewish-run state. Now, it's not a perfect state, and it's not a Jewish state per se, but it's a Jewish-run state. It's run by Jews. And so some will argue that living in a country that's run by your own people you have a better chance of survival. You have a better chance of, uh, of not being attacked and of a genocide or a program not happening if you live in the, in, a, in the country of your own people than you do if you live in somebody else's land. So, so that is probably true. And I can't, I can't say that that's not true. That is probably 100% true. So why do Jews choose to stay in lands where they may not be welcome, in lands where they may not be the most welcome people? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. And by the way, you can get in on the conversation if you want. one 669 1292 You can call in while we're live. one 669 1292 Why would uh, Jews want to, uh, want to stay where they're not wanted, where obviously they've outlived their welcome and obviously uh, it's time to go? Why would, they, why would they want to stay? Well, there's multiple reasons. Apathy comes with affluence. So Jews did very well in North America and in Europe and places that aren't Jewish. They did very well financially. They did very well business-wise. They've done very well. And to get up and give up everything that you've built your entire life on, to get up and give up everything, is very difficult. It's extremely difficult, and for some people it's impossible. They can't fathom leaving. They can't fathom uh, giving up everything they've built, all the money, all the all the goods, all the cars, all the houses, everything that they have, all the comforts of, of North American affluent life or European affluent life, giving it all up is extremely difficult. So they choose not to give it up. They say, you know what, however bad it is, it'll pass. It'll go. It can't get worse than it is now. So as bad as it is now, it will be, it'll be just as bad in 10 years from now. So might as well stay for 10 years. And as bad as it is in 10 years from now, it's battered wife syndrome, really. Really, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's really battered wife syndrome. Uh, it's not that bad. It'll get better. He'll, he'll, he'll repent. He'll, he'll, figure that, he'll figure it out. He'll, he, he won't be angry anymore. Maybe he'll stop drinking. Well, we, could, we could stay here again. Okay, we'll, we'll just wait and we'll see. Uh, another year, I'll give him another six months. I'll give him another, meanwhile, she's getting the heck knocked out of her. But 
Oh, we'll wait. We'll keep waiting. And we'll wait until, until the enemy just decides to give up and that you know he doesn't want to do what he's doing anymore. It makes no sense. It's not logical at all. And you can hear the logic in that. And if we put into the context of a battered woman, uh, all of you, I'm sure every single person listening to my voice right now, would say the exact same thing. Get out of there. What are you doing? Are you crazy? What kind of crazy person stays in a house where someone is beating them? And that would be the reaction we would have if a human being, a human being told you that they were being beaten at home and, 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 and they didn't know what to do. Your reaction would be the same as my reaction, the same as everyone else's reaction. What, are you insane? You're not going back there, not for a second. You're, you're, going, you're going to a shelter. You're going somewhere else. You're going somewhere safe. There's no way we're going to let you go back there. And that would be a normal reaction from any rational person. But funny, when our, when our nation is attacked, when our people are attacked, when people are being killed, we don't have that same reaction. We tend to ignore it. We tend to say, ah, it'll only get better. Why are we bothering? Why, why, why are we bothering to even look at this? It's going to get better. Let the Anti-Defamation League count how many incidents we have. Well, there were 6,000 incidents last year. Oh, well, it's better than two years ago when there were 10,000. It's getting better. You see, it's getting better. But there were 6,000 incidents. So, so what are we doing? What are you doing? Why, why are we doing this? Are, are we masochists? Do we want to kill ourselves? Do we want to hurt ourselves? Is that the idea here? I, I don't understand the concept behind Jews brushing off Jew hatred and thinking that it's okay that, uh, that Jews hate us. And it's okay that Jews are being attacked. And it's okay that this famous rapper could run around the country praising Hitler and saying Hitler didn't do anything wrong and it's the Jews who are, who are, who are conflating the issue. I went on a March of the Living uh, in 1990. Now, 1990 was the second March of the Living ever. So they've gone on hundreds of them since. But 1990 was the second one. 1988 they went, and then 1990 was the second one. It was every two years at the time that I went, and I went to 1990. And when we went to Majdanek, and I remember this clearly, we went to Majdanek, the camp was still not cleaned up. Now it's cleaned up. It's a nice, shiny museum. When I went there, it wasn't cleaned up. They still had ashes in the crematoria. So the oven still had ashes built in, ashes lying in them. And when we came into the crematory, it was exactly, it was almost exactly the way the Nazis had left it. And we started walking through. Like before the Russian living came to, uh, to Poland, these Nazi death camps were maintained by the Polish government. They, they kept them as a testament to what had happened to the Jewish people. But they didn't do any maintenance in them. They didn't clean them. They didn't do anything there. Uh, it was officially a museum, but nobody ever went to visit it. So when the Martian living started coming, and people were visiting it, suddenly they decided to clean the place up and, and fix up some of the buildings and, and make it into a real museum. But when I went, it was still raw. And walking through this raw concentration camp and seeing, seeing the, the ashes in the ovens of, 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 of Majdanek, when it just has to stop and, and realize that this could happen again anytime. That, that the, the idea that, that Jew haters could rise up and, and murder Jews and, and kill them and just throw them into ovens could happen at any time. And we are all susceptible to this. This, this, this is something that could happen to us on a whim. And yet we sit around and we pretend that we're comfortable living in somebody else's land. We sit around and we pretend that it's okay we sit around and pretend 
that Jew hatred is just going to go away. It's just going to disappear. Now, we could dissipate this by having roundtable meetings with an intermarried, uh, intermarried born Jewish guy who has no idea what Judaism is or, or even care what Judaism is. It's scary that this is the thought process that goes through our leadership's head, that this is the way we solve the problem of anti-Jewism. To me, it's, it's, it's an extremely scary situation. It's an extremely scary concept. Now, is there anything we could do about it? Of course, there's stuff we could do about it. And we've gone through this before. And I continue to say over and over again, every school in North America should be teaching self-defense to the children. And every Jew in North America should have some way to defend themselves and their family. So when they come for us, at least we're able to defend ourselves, and we should be trained to defend ourselves. I've said this over and over again. Nobody ever listens to me, but I said this over and over again. I think it's important. And I think it's important that Jews learn how to defend Judaism, and Jews learn how to sell Judaism, and Jews learn what Judaism is. I think part of our problem is the fact that the concept of Judaism has, gone, has been lost, that many Jews don't understand what Judaism is. Many Jews have a warped vision of what Judaism is. And so learning what Judaism is and learning what Judaism accepts and does not accept and learning how to be a good Jew. I think that's the goal. I think that's uh, the goal for the Jewish people. And of course, uh, realizing that life in North America has come to an end and that, we, uh, that we, are, we are in serious trouble in North America and that it's only going to get worse as, as we go. Once we realize that, and once we realize that as a people, then maybe we could take some action to save ourselves. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you for joining me. Uh, you can always um, catch the Howie Silberger and a whole lot of other shows on truetalkradio.com. Download the app from your favorite app store, the True Talk Radio Network app. Uh, we have 24 hours of programming on truetalkradio.com. It's, it's amazing. We have, uh, we have tons and tons and tons of programming. So feel free to download the app. Feel free to listen to our programming. You can check out the schedule on uh, truetalkradio.com. Until, uh, until maybe tomorrow... I am Howie Silberger. Have a great night.